marvelous hymn. It's a great reminder to me that uh, there are a lot of different places you can find theology. There's some pretty rich theology in that hymn. In fact, uh, Eric and Sarah knew kind of what we were going to talk about today. They didn't know the details because, well, I hadn't developed the sermon when I shared it with them. Um, but it's remarkable how that weaves into what we're about to discuss. Philemon, it's one chapter. We're closing out the book today. Um, we're going to go all the way up through verse 22, verses 17 to 22. After that, you just kind of have a closing, and so we're, we're not going to cover those verses. We're covering the body of the text. Verse 17 Again, barging into the middle of a story, and uh, it's, it's pretty significant. With this book, you have to understand the story to really get the depth of the book. So if you haven't been here, uh, if this is like your first Sunday or your first Sunday in a while, and you haven't been here for any of these messages, hang tight. We're going to give you the context. But for now, we read together. So if you consider me your partner, this is Paul writing to Philemon. If you consider me your partner, receive him, that's Onesimus, as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, and we know that he did, or he owes you anything, and we know that he did, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. It's remarkable. Confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Part four of our series called Philemon, Freedom Through Forgiveness. Uh, we're talking today about the cost of forgiveness. Um, Forgiveness is not cheap. It doesn't come cheap. And when we forgive others, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and share this with you, we have a lot of rich content today. So I'm going to be throwing a lot of darts at you, like in a good way, right? So uh, try not to zone out if you can. Uh, I say that not because I'm a fantastic preacher, because I am not, uh, but because this is a very rich Subject. So we have a lot of ground to cover today. Uh, here's the point. Don't miss it. When we forgive others, we're not saying that what they did was not important. We're not saying they didn't harm us. We're not saying that what they did was okay or that, that it was fine for them to do it. Uh, we are uh, forgiving because we've been forgiven. And we cancel the debts of others because our own debts have, in fact, been canceled, which, again, ties into what we just sang. You know, we are forgiven. We have been forgiven. So the best way I know to visualize this, and I, I put this in your notes, and I, I, I gave you a slide here. Uh, I drew some circles. Um, so we, talk about, we talked about this a little bit last week, but I really want you to catch this. Uh, it's interesting when I sit like this because there, there are a couple of actual uh, Christian therapists who attend church here. And so I 
all, sometimes I can actually, I actually notice that they're here. And so when we start talking about a subject like this, I always think this is fascinating because I love what folks like that do and I admire what they do because these are deep, deep subjects that really deserve to be unpacked as much as possible in a one-on-one -on -one way. So I'm just going to kind of throw this out there and I may be creating more questions for you than I answer. Um, that's the nature of talking about a subject like this. And if you want to talk more about it, I would be glad to talk to you about it. One of our elders would be glad to talk to you about it. They actually really uh, relish the role of shepherding this body. And so, uh, but we also offer, uh, and again, it's a little plug, right? We offer scholarships uh, for you to go be counseled by a Christian counselor. We will help you afford that. Um, this is a deep, deep subject that really is going to land for most of us, okay? So the cost of forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is deciding that they don't owe us anymore, okay? That's in essence what we're talking about. That whatever, and we're going to unpack that right now. Whatever they took from me, I'm deciding you don't owe it to me anymore. I'm not saying that you were right to take it. I'm not saying that it was okay. I'm not saying you're a fantastic person. I'm not even saying I'm necessarily going to trust you again. I'm just saying you don't owe me anymore. That's the core part of forgiveness. And what's it say under forgiveness? In our forgiveness circle, it says what? I need everybody to say that out loud. Let's, let's, let's say it so they can hear us up at Walmart. You ready? No excuses. I trapped you, didn't I? I made you say it out loud. We are always called to forgive. And if you struggle with that, I'm with you. <laughs> the line starts behind me, or maybe the line starts behind you and I'm in it. I don't know. We struggle with this. This is not easy. This is not light. This is not flippant. What we talked about last week was reconciliation, which is really the restoration of a relationship or a friendship. And so under reconciliation, what do we say? We don't say always, we say what? Sometimes. Because it's not always possible. Because reconciliation is not always up to you. It's not always possible because the person might not even be alive anymore. Did you know that it's possible for you to forgive people who aren't alive anymore? Did you know that in a room this size, there's more than a few of us who that's exactly who you need to forgive? Somebody who's gone. And the other thing I'll say is this. Some people are just not healthy. Some of us were hurt by people who just aren't healthy. And so the level of reconciliation that's going to be possible just based on wisdom and discernment is not always at a very high level. In fact, it's not always wise to reconcile with everyone. But it doesn't let you off the hook. From forgiving them. So this is a really important idea. Last week we talked about reconciliation and some of you have had a rough week. <laughs> I know you have. I get it. This, this, this is one of those subjects and again just your you know reminder I didn't write your Bible. I'm just reading it to you and I don't always if you don't always like it I don't always like it either. But it's not about what I think or you think. This is what God has called us to. So last week was about reconciliation. This week is really more about forgiveness. Forgiveness is neither, two things, listen, it's neither optional, please hear this, nor is it final. Here's what I mean. You're going to need to forgive them a lot. And the deeper the wound, 
the more likely that it's going to fester up over and over and over. So it's not always that you just kind of slam the gavel and say, I forgive them, that's it, and I'll never deal with that again. No, you may need to forgive them again on Tuesday. And then Thursday morning, you may, be, you may find yourself upset with that bitterness growing, and you may need to circle back and forgive them again. This is just the reality of forgiveness. Here's the thing, though. Always, 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 when you need to forgive someone of something, you can boil it down to the fact that they took something from you or they changed something in a way most often that you really cannot go back. I had the opportunity this week, I've been looking forward to this for months, I had the opportunity to go out to Scottsdale, to Arizona, not just because it's January in Topeka and it's warmer there, <laughs> but I'll take it, right? Uh, but I got the chance to go to the Barrett-Jackson uh, auto auction. Some of you know what that is. The rest of you, I'll pray for you. You should know. It's incredible. It's this fantastic collector car auction. And I am a professional looker. <laughs> I just walk through and look at things and guess how much things are going to go for and dream. And that is all I'm allowed to do. And uh, one of the most intriguing cars there to me, I, I, I gave you this picture is if that's not a classic 1980s mullet, <laughs> I don't know what is. I'm an 80s guy, so I'm with you. It's a 1987 Buick Grand National GNX, which is a great car, okay. I always thought it was fascinating that GM decided that year they were gonna make the fastest production car a V6 Buick. <laughs> Who does that? Here's why this car is fascinating. You don't know anything about cars, right? I get it, some of you don't. Here's why it's important. This car was fascinating to me because it was built in 1987. In 1988, May 2nd, 1988, it was delivered to the original owner, who was the one selling it, or his estate now. Had not been touched. Had been sitting in a garage for the most part since then. It's a 1987. It has 282 miles on it. Right? Literally, it's dusty. A couple of the tires wouldn't hold air. And if you looked at it, you would think, what in the world? What's the fascination? What, this is, what are you doing here, right? But my kids know because I've told them over and over and over about my old cars. Listen, it's only original once. It's only original once. Whatever you change after that, I see some head nods. Some of you are with me. It's only original once. And when you start changing things... You can't go back. So if you buy this car and take it home and wash it and put new tires on it, it's worth less. As crazy as that sounds, it's only original once. And once you do, this is the application. You, wonder, you know I'm going to work a car into a sermon, right? Here's the application. Here's the connector, right? Once you change it, it's almost impossible to go back. It's almost... Your car that's parked here, if somebody opens the door and dings it and you have to have the door repainted, who cares? It'll look just like it was brand new. This one may look the same, but it's not the same. Once you change it, you can almost never go back. Isn't that true for whatever it is in your life that you need to forgive someone about? Isn't it true that I, if I could bring them here right now and make them knuckle under and I had the magic power to force them to be repentant 
and they could tell you how wrong they were and how sorry they were. Some of you, they've already done this. Some of you, they haven't, right? And you'd faint because you'd think it was a miracle, right? What if I could do that? And they were here, and they apologized, and they said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. It was wrong. I was selfish. I was whatever, right? Let me make it right. Here's the question. Could they really make it right? Or is it gone? Usually, it's gone. They took something from you that can't be restored. They took from you, maybe like this story with Paul and Philemon, whose servant Onesimus had run away and he had actually cheated Philemon out of money. And now Paul's trying to bring reconciliation. Remember our two circles? Listen, reconciliation always has to involve forgiveness. You're not going to have reconciliation if you don't have forgiveness. Some of you have tried that. Can I just tell you it's not going to work? I know how that story ends. you got to figure out how to forgive them. But man, sometimes they actually took something of value, like monetary value. Maybe they took money. Maybe they cheated you out of something. Maybe they lied lied to you and they took from you the ability to choose for yourself. That's usually what happens when we lie to each other. We've withheld information in such a way that the other person can't make an informed decision. And we do it out of fear. I get it. Maybe they took your innocence. Maybe they robbed you of a relationship. And there's a pretty good chance it's not coming back. So look me right in the eye. The question is, now what? This is where we sit. They took something valuable from me, and it's probably not going to come back, not in the form that it was in before. So now what do we do? How do we move forward? I think the biggest misunderstanding that we have about forgiveness is the idea that forgiveness is cheap or that it's free. It's absolutely not. Forgiveness is incredibly Expensive. Listen to the language that Paul uses in Ephesians 1.7. Talking about Jesus, he says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Read this next part with me. According to the riches of His grace. Do you know why you have forgiveness from God? Do you know why you have forgiveness It's because God has lavished riches on you. In other words, you had a pretty hefty debt that you owed God. And the reason you have forgiveness is because God is incredibly generous and he's lavished this upon us. So we find Paul in a Roman prison, although he's probably under house arrest. uh, But he certainly was under arrest for sure. Probably A.D. 60 or 61 to give you a framework or like a a timeline, right? He writes a letter to the church at Colossae, which we know as Colossians. And alongside it, he writes this little letter that we call Philemon because it was written to the, the person who hosted the church in Colossae. He lived in Colossae and the church met in his house. He was probably wealthy. And he had a servant named Onesimus who had run away. And when Onesimus ran away, apparently he also took something probably to facilitate his 
running away. He didn't want to be a servant anymore, didn't want to serve this guy anymore for sure. I'm out of here. I'm taking something because I'm going to need some cash. Maybe he took a horse. We don't know. Somehow he got away. He makes his way to Rome and he winds up interacting with Paul. Paul leads him to Christ and then says, listen to this, you got to go back. To which you and I would say, no, 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 no. I would rather do anything else. No, no, no. Because of these particular circumstances, you need to go back and you're going to need to have reconciliation. So back in verse 17, let's work our way through here, make some observations about forgiveness. Some pretty big observations, I think. Verse 17 says, so if you consider me your partner, and really the way that this is constructed, Paul's saying since. He's not saying if. Since you consider me your partner, and the word partner, listen, is the word koinonos. You church people, that should mean something to you. What does that sound like? Koinonos, what does that sound like? Yeah, koinonia, which is the Greek word for fellowship. If we're in fellowship together, we've partnered together for a unique, specific purpose. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. We unpacked this last week because Paul kind of does this in reverse order. He talks about reconciliation, then he talks about forgiveness. Of course, it's all one letter. It, it wasn't intended to be read a week apart, right, like we're doing it. It was just a letter. But along the way, Paul, we talked about this last week, Paul aligns himself with Philemon, with uh, Onesimus. And we see this sometimes. Like, I'm upset at him, but I love you. And then I figure out that you're friends with him. And I go, wait a second. You're not supposed to be friends with him. We're mad at him. But you didn't get the memo. You're just being friends with people, right? Because that's often just how it goes. Paul dials that up a notch here, and he kind of says, you know what, we're not just friends. I am purposefully aligning myself with him. Listen to the language of what he's saying here. Listen, it's almost as if Paul is saying to Philemon, I want you to accept Onesimus, and he has no credibility with you, but I have a ton of credibility with you, so would you let him borrow some of my credibility to which, if you're the person with the credibility, if you're anything like me, because this is my response, I'm going timeout. You want to know how I built credibility? By not acting like people like Onesimus. <laughs> wait, so what? You want me to do what? Yes. Yes. We should actually pick up each other's slack, as crazy as that sounds. We're not just friends. I am purposefully aligning myself with him. Listen, not just because I think he's a great guy, look at me, but because he is now a brother in Christ. Train wreck or not, he's a brother in Christ. And I'm not telling you in some sentimental way that we should be aligned. This was Paul's theology. This is so rich. This is Paul's theology lived out in practice, which is where theology comes out, by the way. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither, there is neither Onesimus nor Philemon. Paul, by the way, was not free. 
He was more closely aligned with Onesimus than he was with Philemon. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all heaped together in the same pile. And guess what? Onesimus just joined the pile. Paul would also use this language in Colossians in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 11. Back to uh, Philemon, verse 18. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, what's the next word? Charge that to my account. This is actually a technical term. This is an accounting term. It is primarily financial. That's what Paul's talking about. Listen, look at me. It's financial, but the secondary is always relational, right? If I borrow $100 from you and I don't give it back, what did you lose? Well, you lost $100. But is that really all? There's always relational fallout. And Paul's really talking about all of this. If he's wronged you at all, and I know that he did... Or if he owes you anything, and we know that he owes you something. Listen, this is so emotionally intelligent. I love that Paul does this. Philemon had, had been wronged, listen, and he was owed something. Somebody actually owed him some money. And Paul doesn't skip over that and say, ah, oh, that's unimportant. Forget about that. Just get over it. Some of us in this room have been trying to just get over it for a long time and it's not working, right? Just pretend that it's not important. You can't pretend that it's not important. That's not the solution. And yet, we need to move forward together. And Onesimus is coming with us. That's tough. First observation that's in your notes. Forgiveness is needed when something valuable has been taken from us. We cannot simply pretend the loss is unimportant. We cannot simply pretend that the loss is unimportant. Really what Paul's saying is this. Listen, take your ledger and open it up. And if you look, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but this is really the imagery that he's using here. Take your ledger, open it up. When you go to Onesimus, Philemon, when you go to his line, you're going to see that he's, he's debited out, right? Like he's in the red. He owes you money. But if you go to my account, you're going to see that I'm actually to the positive quite a bit, probably more than enough. So if you could do me a favor, if you could just move some of my credit over to his debit just to wash it out, that would be great. That's really technical. But that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Is there a precedent for this? Listen, look at me. Buckle up. There's a huge precedent. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19. We're going to go quickly. I wish we didn't have to go quickly. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? You know that verse, don't you? What a great verse. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself. Look at me. It's the same financial terminology. He reconciled accounts. Your account was in the negative. And Jesus, through his life 
and his death and his resurrection created this incredible positive account that made you be able to be forgiven. Not because your debt was not great. Oh, this is so big. Romans 5 says where sin sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. I love this. Listen, you could say it this way. Where sin abounded, grace did super abound. Like it put on a cape, right? It super abounded. This was a huge mountain of debt that you had. But because of God's grace, it's all covered. This is the precedent for reconciling things. This is so big. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And then what did he do? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He made you a minister of reconciliation. What does that mean? Quite simply, what it means is this. When we realize how big the mountain of my sin was and how much grace God extended to me. Listen. It wasn't a good deal for God. I wasn't a good catch. I'm a hot mess on my best day. And you are too. We just don't want to say that out loud. Totally undeserving. The God of the universe gave me that kind of grace. Do you know what that triggers in me? I want to go tell Ashton, you're not going to believe what God did for me. And he's made this available for you. Right? And I just want to go around the room. And I want to share with everyone. What? This is the best deal in the universe. Like I can't, it blows my mind. I, I start tripping breakers in my mind. I don't like, are you kidding me? By the way, that's called worship. That's what we do when we worship. We don't just sing. We reflect on how good God has been to us. And that ministry of reconciliation is that we're helping others understand how they can be reconciled to God. But there is a secondary. that It kind of echoes into our mind because as, as I know I've been reconciled to God, guess what that also includes? uh, horizontal reconciliation. It has to. It has to. I can't just say, well, I'm reconciled, but you're still in trouble. God, you've forgiven me of all this, but I haven't forgotten about what you did to me. Because all of us, even if you're not like a, a believer, we all go, hey, wait a second. You are forgiven of all this and you can't forgive them of this thing? Which is important, but in the grand scheme of eternity, man, I don't know. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Number two, this is in your notes. When we put our faith in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, our debts are not forgiven, but they are literally paid in full by someone else. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Hey, you're not forgiven because God has a short memory. You're not forgiven because God says, ah, we'll just... 
sweep it under the rug. Ah, no big deal. Oh no, it's a big deal. It had to be dealt with. It had to be dealt with. God canceled your debt through the provision of another sacrifice. Because you couldn't do it. This is why we call it good news. Through Christ, we get undeserved credit. Credit gets moved to our account that we didn't deserve, we didn't earn, we didn't know we needed it. Just in faith, we ask to be forgiven. That's it. That's all it was. This is such an important idea. Number three, these three things go together. Forgiveness is the act of deciding and sometimes declaring that they don't owe us anymore. Deciding and declaring. Why did I say declaring? Because sometimes I have to say it out loud to myself. Did you know that you're the best preacher that you know? Because you pay more attention to you than you do to anybody else. So you should be careful what kind of sermons you're preaching to yourself. And sometimes you have to remind yourself of some things. And sometimes you have to say some things out loud. And sometimes, and what I love is some of you do this, sometimes the confession, like you have to confess that every day, right? It's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's really important the language that we use with ourselves. Forgiving is the act of deciding. And there have been times in my life where I've had to verbally say, Collins, don't go there. They don't owe you anymore. I still feel like they owe me, and they should owe me. But that's a pretty dangerous path to go down. They don't owe me anymore. And could I just say this, and we've got to move on. You will never find a sufficient reason in them to forgive them. So stop looking there. They don't deserve to be forgiven. That's the point of forgiveness, right? They don't deserve it. If you're looking for motivation, you're probably not. You may. Occasionally it happens. More often than not, they're not sorry. Or they don't even know that they did it. Or they think it's not a big deal. Our motivation is always the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. This is a financial thing, right? I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. So he starts with this financial, but then he goes much farther beyond financial. I will repay it. I'm writing this with my own hand. Paul almost gave a signature. Right, which may actually have been what he did. The scribe is dictating this letter and he says, hand that to me. There's the promissory note. If he owes you anything, I will... I don't, and you're like, Paul, you're in prison. How are you going to pay anybody? We'll figure it out. God knows what he's doing. I'll take care of it. The, can you imagine how shocking this would have been for Philemon? My mentor, my spiritual father is in prison... And he's telling me that because this knucklehead over here wronged me for something, he's going to repay me? Wait a second. Worlds are colliding here. How are these people even associated with each other? Verse 20, yes, brother, I want some, what is the word? Say it again. The Greek is oninami. Oninami. 
If you listen, what does it sound like? Onesimus. It's the same root. Paul quite literally through this letter, listen, this is so good. This is such a pun. This is a dad joke. Are you ready for this? Listen. Paul literally through this letter says this. Onesimus, who by the way, the name means useful. Onesimus, useful, had become useless to you. But then he became useful to me, and now you could become useful to me. You could become Onesimus if you would just do this. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. And then, interestingly, confident of your, what's the word? Obedience. Hey, listen, don't look now, but Paul didn't command him to do anything. So what obedience are we talking about? In fact, Paul literally said, I could command you, but I'm not going to. So what's he obeying? There's a bigger law. There's a bigger law. No command had been given. And yet, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. I know that you're going to be obedient to something that I didn't even command you to do. Why? Listen. Because this is how the gospel works. As the gospel does its work in our hearts, as the Spirit of God applies the idea of grace to us, and then once we've, you know, we've received it vertically, then he, he begins to work it out in us horizontally with those around us, we begin to go above and beyond. That's the motivation. It's always the motivation is an understanding of the gospel. And there is a general obedience that always accompanies the gospel. Paul calls it the obedience of faith. He uses that language twice in Romans in chapter 1 verse 5 and then chapter 16 verse 26. He talks about the obedience of faith. That we are obedient by nature. Listen, listen, listen. Not because we think obeying will make God love us more. But because we're already overwhelmed with how much God really loves us. So how could I not respond in obedience? It's the most natural thing on the planet. The deeper I dive into God's love for me, the more my response is going to be, hey, I want to obey. Because he's so good and he's asking me to do things. How, how could his way not be better than my way? Even though I don't see it, even though it takes faith, I'm going to respond this way. Listen, responding to, incredible, to the incredible love found in the gospel of Jesus Christ will naturally pull us towards loving obedience. At Capital City Church, we exist to help people love Jesus and live for him every day. But we, first and foremost, want to help you have a loving response to the gospel. We want you to understand. We want you to love God before you start trying to obey anything, we want you to love God, but we know that primarily that starts with you having a better understanding of how much God loves you. Your love for God will always be in response to understanding how much He loves you. And that is the rocket fuel for discipleship. Basking in the love of God for us. One of the environments that we have for this community groups and uh, next week, this I'm just going to give you a little precursor, right? 
Next week, you're going to have an opportunity for those of you who aren't in a community group and you want to be in one, and I know some of you maybe asked some questions about that. Next week, you're going to have a chance to sign up. And this is exactly what we're about in community groups, is understanding how do we love God more and then live for him out of that love. So stay tuned for that. Here's the point. I'm going to get Baptist on you right now. You ready? Jesus is always both Savior and Lord. He's always both. You don't get to say Savior now and Lord later. That's not how it works. And you're not saved by your works. And you're not saved by your obedience. But if you're saved, there is going to be a general trend towards being more obedient. It's going to be your heart, and it's going to come out in your life. We're not saved by works, but we're going to work when we're saved. This is how the equation goes. Real faith always produces for us a pull towards God. This is why James said faith without works is what? It's dead. Because it wasn't real faith. Real faith, are you always going to get it right? Absolutely not. Are you going to get it right more than you get it wrong? Maybe not. (laughs) But man, there's going to be some kind of evidence. There's going to be some kind of fruit. Listen to me, look at me. Because ultimately, you're not the one producing the fruit. Who is it? It's the fruit of... Mm Mm-hmm, come on. I think ultimately... Paul wanted Philemon to set Onesimus free. I think that's what he's saying here. I'm confident you'll do even more than you were asked to do. Don't just forgive him of what he did to you. I think you've got to set him free because we shouldn't own each other, no matter what our culture says, because their culture said it was okay. But no matter what, you need to treat him as a brother in Christ. At the same time, verse 22, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. There's a very practical implication. Listen, Philemon, listen. Onesimus and I and you are going to do ministry together again. And if you, oh, if you don't forgive him, it's going to limit your ability to do the ministry that God's called you to do. So I'm hoping through your prayers that I'm going to be set free. Have my room ready. And I'm going to be there and Onesimus is going to be there. And it's going to be kind of awkward if you haven't forgiven him, isn't it? (laughs) Might be a little awkward if you're still worried about that money. This is big. So why should you forgive them? Is it because they deserve it? No. They don't. Ephesians 4.32. Paul tells us to be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Don't miss the last phrase. As God in Christ forgave you. You have been reconciled to God. And now you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Which is evangelistic, primarily. Telling other people about the gospel. That's what the ministry of reconciliation is. But the effects, the shockwave reverberates through your life that you will also begin to seek horizontal forgiveness. And as much as it depends on you, 
you will be at peace with those around you, even the ones who have wronged you. So we're going to pray together. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you just a minute to pray, uh, and then we're going to be done here. God, we thank you so, so much. First and foremost, we have to start with the ministry of reconciliation, that you have reconciled us to yourself. That is a much bigger miracle than any of us will can, can possibly comprehend. Or, to be off, uh, honest, uh, it's a bigger miracle than most of us take the time to sit and reflect on and ponder over, and, and which maybe would be good for us to remember how much you've forgiven us of. And you did, fully and freely. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Our sin abounded in our lives. And yet your grace superabounded. Your grace did much more abound. Thank you for that. Use that as a model in our lives. Help us to always remember how much we've been forgiven. Help us to not become full of ourselves or arrogant or cocky or, or really anything else, but that we would have a posture of humility, remembering that we are first of all forgiven and that we need to be, have our forgiveness of others fueled by the forgiveness that you've extended to us. God, make us forgivers, make us reconcilers in Jesus' name. Amen.